So Nehemiah, there are two things that I found a bit of a struggle with the book of Nehemiah. I, I really enjoyed the process of reading through, learning about you. Um, if anyone enjoyed at all in uh, through the few past few months, it is probably me I enjoyed the most. I uh, really enjoyed learning so much, surprised by a few things and uh, really enjoyed it. Two things stood out that were quite, quite a bit difficult for me to... Um, yeah, uh, two difficulties, I should say, that I wrestled with. First thing has to do with exclusion, uh, the, the, the idea of being excluded. And the second thing is kind of related, the whole thing about intermarriage, and the, which is huge in Nehemiah, but also in the book of Ezra. So I, I understand that there are a few of us who didn't go through the whole month, a few months, so I'll try to recap as effectively as possible. But uh, the, the idea in Nehemiah is that there are few certain people who are insiders in the community of faith. And the, the people who are outside of that few group, group of people, they are excluded. Uh, there's no space for them. There's no place for them. Uh, and this idea is brought to clarity in, in, um, in the form of a people group called the Samaritans. And if you have read the Bible, uh, and if you are, have heard sermons, you probably have heard few things about the Samaritans. The Samaritans are essentially, they are ethnically mixed nation uh, with Jewish and with pagan heritage, uh, Gentile heritage. And because of that, they're, they're considered as impure. And um, yeah, uh, they were considered essentially as inferior to the pure Jewish uh, nation. Um, just if you go back to the whole story of the, um, the Israelites, um, there's a time when the, the kingdom of Israel was split into two parts, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Just really quickly, okay? It's not, there's not a lot of data, uh, information I will share here just to get the point across. And in the northern kingdom, um, the, the Samaritans, it's not very clear here, but Samaria is somewhere in the northern kingdom. And the people who lived in Samaria were, uh, as I mentioned, of mixed race, uh, mixed communities. Uh, and according to the Jews, they considered the Samaritans as practicing a mixed kind of religion, not not pure. Um, it's not it's not true to the original type. They are practicing a mixed kind of religion. And so they live in the northern kingdom. And when and the, uh, when the Assyrians, the Babylonians came and uh, defeated the, the kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, eventually. Um, a lot of Israelites were taken away right, as captive, uh, like people like Daniel, people like um, uh, Nehemiah himself. These people were taken away from their homeland to a foreign land. The Samaritans, they were not taken away. They, they remained in Samaria, in, in that region, northern region. And because of that, they, they, were, they served the, the kingdoms as officers, uh, officials in these places. And so they climbed up the status, so to say. They became powerful people. In, in the region. So Samaritans were uh, people like that. Um, religiously speaking, in terms of their, their religion, in terms of their practices, uh, they were not too different from the Jews. They, they followed the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, as they're called. And they, they actually, they considered themselves as the pure followers of uh, the laws of Mo Moses. Uh, but the key difference being that they worshipped at Mount Gerizim. Um, it's just visible right there in the, in the 
borders between the north and the south in the purple uh, area. Mount Gerizim is where the Samaritans worship, whereas the Jews, the, uh, the Israelites, they would worship in uh, the Temple Mount, the Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So key, key difference here, they, they are essentially brothers in terms of their uh, he, uh, in, um, lineage, but they split because of religious practices. The Samaritans worship in Mount Gerizim, they stay in the north. The Jews live in the south, they worship in Jerusalem, so on and so forth. Right? So that's the broad context of the, the difference between Samaritans and the Jews. Now, what's wrong with the Samaritans? Let's just uh, dig a little deeper into this. When the, the people who were taken away to Assyria, to Babylon, and to Persia, when they, were, when they returned to rebuild the temple, as you may remember from the story, Nehemiah, Ezra, they returned to Jerusalem and they said, okay, we're going to rebuild the temple, we're going to rebuild the wall. The Samaritans came down to Jerusalem and said, you know what, we are, after all, we are brothers and sisters, why don't we all join together and we will support you, we will work together and let us build this huge vision of a city. The Jews said, no, you have nothing to do with us. You are not the real people of God. You are excluded from the real people of God for this reason and that reason. But you, are, you have nothing to do with us. In fact, in Ezra chapter 4, it, it's even uh, stated more explicitly, like, you have nothing to do in this place. Like, Samaritans have nothing to do in this place. And that bothers me a lot, uh, the, the idea of exclusion, the idea that some people have no place in this stated place, the, the worship of God, the, the community of faith. But um, the, the Samaritans, in their own part, they self-identify as the real God's people, the de real descendants of Jacob. Uh, they worship in Gerizim, the real mountain, whereas the Jews worship in uh, Jerusalem. Um, so even though they were their own brothers and sisters, um, the Samaritans were considered unfit to be part of the people, because primarily because of the seriousness of intermarriage, the, the intermarriage between Jews and other communities, and the worship. The, the defilement of their worship because of that mixing. Now, in that broad context, let us um, consider... So, with, with that context, with that kind of information, if we look at the book of Nehemiah, Sanbalat, right, the, the guy who, whose name keeps coming up again and again, causing trouble for the Jews. Sanbalat was a Samaritan. Uh, it was Sanbalat who said, you know what, we're going to join you, let's build it together, and the Jews said no. Sanballat was um, rejected by, by um, Nehemiah, by Zerubbabel in the first place. And I can understand why he would be riled up and cause so much trouble for the Jews later on. Um, so I don't mean to whitewash the story of the Samaritans. I don't mean to portray them as victims in, in this. But the fact is that the Samaritans, by default of their, their, uh, their being Samaritans, they're excluded from the community of faith. But we, we see from history that later on, after the time of Nehemiah, around 330 uh, BC, the famous Alexander, he gave permission to the Samaritans to actually build a very grand temple in Mount Gerizim. And so following, following from the time of Nehemiah, the split between the Jews and the Samaritans became worse and worse and worse, uh, to the point that they have separate worship thing going on. They don't regard each other as real. Uh, they consider each other as heretical, so on and so forth. So, it is in this context that we, uh, we read the book, uh, the, 
the text for today, John chapter 4, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I think in this context, it's, it's a remarkable story. If we don't understand this context, we may easily brush it off and say, oh, this is simply a, a story of Jesus meeting another woman. But it's a story of Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And I think that's why it's a remarkable story. This happens 500 years after Nehemiah, in which the rift not only persisted, but the rift became even more stronger between the Jews and the Samaritan. Um, so it is in the context that we must read uh, the, the story of uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. So let's just do that. We're going to read through, in fact, quite a lot of readings, but I think the, the passage tells the story a lot better than I can ever hope to do. So I think it's best to read through. So John chapter 4, uh, we'll start reading from verse 3. This is from the NIV version. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritan. So, here's the scene. Um, Jesus is passing through the town, uh, the, Samaria, the region of Samaria. And we can ask questions, why did Jesus pass through? I think uh, this, that's an important question for us to ask. Because if, if the Jews really did not, if the Jews really are not fond of the Samaritans, he could have easily taken a detour around the, the area and gone to wherever he was going. But it's clear that he intentionally went through the town of Sychar, uh, the area of Sam, uh, Samaria, even though he knew that he would have to engage with the Samaritans. So there seems to be some intentionality there, and I'll come back to that point later. Uh, some people say it's to, to save time as a shortcut, but the fact that Jesus lingered on for two, three days after this, shows that he was not pressed for time. So there seems to be some intentionality going on there, but we'll come back to that later. Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. There are three barriers that Jesus breaks in this story. The first barrier has to do with the gender barrier. If you are a Jew reading the book of John, this setting, right? A man meets a woman in, a, in front of a well. This is like the quintessential Love story, romance story. It's like the balcony under the moonlight, uh, Romeo Juliet motif, right? This is the quintessential man meets woman and eventually they get married setting. So Jesus setting up a scene like this is controversial. Um, he, he is, uh, um, what's going on here, right? I mean, later on we read that when the disciples came back to meet Jesus and he sees Jesus talking to this woman in, in front of the world, they're like, like, no comments. They didn't even address because it, I, I assume it's, uh, it's a very awkward, it's a very controversial uh, scene that he's uh, setting up. The first barrier that Jesus breaks is he goes ahead and talks with this woman. Uh, in, in a patriarchal society, in a strictly conservative society, and all the more so because Jesus is, is, is a rabbi, is a teacher. How can he be talking with a woman by himself in front of a well? Um, he f the first barrier that he breaks is the gender barrier. The second barrier that he breaks is the ethnic barrier. This is not just a woman. It's 
a Samaritan woman. And because of that, by the sheer fact that she's a Samaritan, according to the Jews, uh, she was um, not part of the community of, of God. So the best would be to avoid an engagement. Uh, do not, they don't engage, do not communicate. Uh, the, uh, the Samaritans, by virtue of their being in power, in, in, uh, in places of official power, they were oppressive towards the Jews. They were, in, in that sense, enemies of the Jews. So the ethnic barrier, according to the ethnic barrier, Jesus should not be talking to this Samaritan woman, but he did. The second barrier he broke was the ethnic barrier. The third barrier that he broke was a moral barrier. A lot of, I'm sure you have heard this as well, but a lot of scholars say that the fact that the woman is collecting water at midday, like at noon, most presumably at noon, when the sun is at, at the, the, head, the, the hottest time of the day, when women would go early in the morning before the sunrise or later in the evening when there's the sun is cooler, whereas this woman is like at a time when there's nobody around, essentially, avoiding social contact, avoiding the eyes of the people, avoiding the gossips of the people, presumably. It seems to hint that uh, she had a moral problem. She had a challenge in the society. She was not... She, she felt unwanted, she felt shunned. And in a highly patriarchal society, in a highly moralistic society, obsessed with ritual cleanliness, this woman would be at the bottom of the social order. And when Jesus talks to her, she break, he breaks the, the moral barrier. Um, as a rabbi, uh, he should not be talking or engaging in a, in a, uh, in a company such as this but he broke the, barrier, the moral barrier as well. Jesus talks to her, and Jesus asked for the money, oh, for the water, I'm sorry, for, not the money. Jesus asked for the, the water um, because Jesus was thirsty. Um, so yeah, Jesus pursues the conversation, right? We can tell from here that he's not just minimalistic in his conversation, he's pursuing the conversation actively. So let's keep reading, verse 10 onward. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty or, and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus probes the conversation further. He, in a sense, you could say he pursues the person behind, uh, the, uh, behind the woman. He reaches for the things of our heart the desires of our heart. And by the end of the conversation, the, the woman is saying, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and I don't have to come here to draw, to draw water again. This is not just about physical, um, the, 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 um, this is not just that she's asking that I don't want to be thirsty ever again physically so that I don't have to drink water. I think she's saying that um, she's tired of coming here to this place, this symbol, this social place where she feels small. She's, she has a trauma of being belittled and being uh, called as sinful and uh, called in derogatory terms. She's tired of this place and she's saying, 
I don't want to come here to, to be drawing water again and again. Uh, I want to be free from the insult, from the judgment, the place of judgment. So Jesus not only approaches her and pursues the conversation, she, Jesus goes for the heart, the, the desires, the concerns of her heart. We keep reading and um, uh, John 4 verse 16 says, He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no hus husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you G Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is for the Jews. We see the conversation, conversation goes to another level. It's not just her and her desires now. Like we have gone to the scope of the Samaritan people. Like suddenly they're talking about the Samaritan people and their religious ideals, religious dreams. And here Jesus is hinting at the desires of the, not just the Samaritan woman, but the Samaritan people. They have been longing for a place where they can belong, where they can worship. The Samaritans said that we should worship at Gerizim, although the Jews say that you should worship in Jerusalem. Uh, for, for better or for worse, for the, for the Samaritans, Gerizim is the place to be. Um, and it, it speaks of the desire of the people to, to tap into the living water, so to say, for their religious desires to be fulfilled. And Jesus is... Um, um, engaging with that desire, the heart, the desire of the people. Verse 423, he goes on, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So here the conversation culminates and Jesus proclaims himself as the living water, as the one who is able to give living water. In fact, if you look at verse 25, the woman says that she, she mentions the Messiah. The Samaritans actually have um, a messianic figure that they are also waiting for. It's called Taheb. And Taheb is not quite Messiah, but it's, their, it's a prophecy of a restorer, somebody who will come and restore the people of Samaria. Jesus essentially is putting himself in that place as the fulfillment of the people of Samaria, as the fulfillment of the heart's desires of the people of Samaria. So in one sense, there's a personal connection that Jesus makes. And I think if you just think a bit deeper about this, I think it's just mind-blowing because what Jesus is claiming here is that he, he is the living water and he can fulfill the desires and the emptiness of the Samaritan woman. And just think about that for a moment, like all the desires, all the emptiness that the Samaritan woman seems to be having. Uh, having had five husbands and living with another man, uh, 
clearly like there's there's one there are two ways of approaching that one is to condemn but the another way is to 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 uh maybe appreciate the 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 struggles that she must be having the the need the desperation that she must be having for love and for affection and for recon- for for an, an, an own, on her own identity and jesus comes along and says i have the living water i can give you the living water and it will fulfill the emptiness that you have in your heart and jesus puts himself as the the on a personal level as the living water and i think today we live in a world um we are surrounded by emptiness we're surrounded by advertisements at every turn for i that claims to fulfill that emptiness uh whether by buying something whether by experiencing something whether by going somewhere there's there's the promises that these things will fill the emptiness emptiness and so we run from one to the other not unlike the samaritan woman in some sense um and jesus and i think it's timely to to remind ourselves of the message of jesus when he says i have the living water to fulfill that emptiness in you but it's not just the personal in this story that i want to uh call your attention to it's also the collective desire of the samaritan people the samaritans worshiped in mount gerizim even though they were they were uh insulted by the jews um they worshiped there in this place they have their own rituals and uh this is the place that they're worshiping but but jesus comes along and says you worship in this mountain the jews worship in that mountain are you truly satisfied with that are you truly able to find that true worship in that place or do you want to experience what i have to give which is the worship that comes in spirit and in truth right so jesus not only fulfills the the desires of the the personal level of the samaritan woman he also goes for the desires of the collective the the samaritan as a collective uh, community of uh, collective community but it's not just the samaritans and the the woman's desires that are on display here there's also another person that's desiring and i think that's we see that in verse 23 the father is seeking the father is desiring true worshipers and so earlier when i hinted that this is the quintessential setting for a love story in a sense it is a love story because it is god who is seeking right the samaritan woman first of all but it's also god seeking the samaritans the samaritan people who were turned away from being the community of faith it is god seeking desiring true worshipers even from that place even from samaria and i think we can say a lot of things about the the idea of uh spirit and truth but what we can say is i think i think for the purpose of today's reflection um it's for those people who acknowledge that gerizim and jerusalem the temple are not enough they are not they're not fulfilling the, the the religious need of the community our foundations that we have in our in our lives they are not enough the woman recognizes that she has her own need and she needs help i think god what jesus is saying here is that god is seeking worshipers who look at the world who look at our busyness and who thinks this is not it this is not it uh who looks at worship in whether in gerizim or jerusalem or in the secular spaces or rituals 
the boundaries that we have set for ourselves, the structures that we have set for ourselves, we look at all of that and say, nah, this is not it. This is not it. I need something more real. What I think what Jesus is saying is, God is looking, seeking true worshippers who pursue him in spirit and in truth. Not tied to a place, not tied to a temple, but who seek him in spirit and in truth. In, in the book of John, spirit and truth is, of course, tied to Jesus Christ. Jesus is, uh, the spirit is the spirit of Christ. Jesus is the truth. He is the Messiah. And as he says here, I am he, the one you're waiting for. I am he, the Messiah, the Taheb. For those who are seeking to, uh, to worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus proclaims himself as the one who, who is the, the answer, the living water. So Jesus pursues this conversation with the Samaritan woman. Um, Je- Jesus desires. It's not just the woman who desires to be fulfilled and who desires to, uh, to have the emptiness in her heart to be taken away. It is also the Father and Jesus who is pursuing, actively pursuing. And I think I, that's why I go back to my first point about whether Jesus intended to pass through Samaria. Whether it, was it just a shortcut or was it intentional? The fact that he stopped there in the well and started a conversation with the Samaritan woman. The fact that he pursued, actively pursued a conversation with her. The fact that he, he kept asking the questions. And the fact that when the Samaritan woman went home to tell her villagers and came back, he was still waiting. And the fact that he spent two days with Samaritans, as a Jew teacher, a rabbi, spent two days with Samaritans uh, in the village, teaching them and helping them to understand more. It shows that Jesus was pursuing this relationship, this, um, um, this reconnection with the people of Samaria. Jesus spent two days with the Samaritan community, as we say. But Samaria was only the threshold, the, the, the front door, the front yard. Beyond that is, of course, the world. And we know that the Bible tells us it's not just Samaria that Jesus reached out to. He sent his spirit. The spirit is unleashed and poured out to the world, to India, to Hong Kong, to Edinburgh, right? To the rest of the world. The spirit has been poured out into the world as, as uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says. He's telling his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when, when the Samaritans came to Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and asked them, is there a place for us? There was no place for Samaritans. But today, and in this text, Jesus shows us that Jesus himself comes out of Jerusalem and he goes to Samaria. And he spends days with them, right? Notice that the Spirit, now after the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit goes to the world. The Spirit is poured out to the world. The Spirit dwells with us. So there's no grounds for exclusivity, exclusion, and uh, the, the old boundaries have been broken, so to say. Those who recognize the need for worship in spirit and truth, they are the ones that God is pursuing. So, so, in a sense, if you think about uh, practical ways in which we can um, apply this in our life, I, I don't know if there's anything we can do to apply this in our life, because this is the gospel news, right? The gospel news is to be received, and 
to, to worship as a response. So I think the appropriate response to such a good news is that we worship God and we desire the living water, the, Jesus, the living water that comes in Jesus. We recognize that Zion, Gerizim, these places won't do. We need something more. We need something more living. We recognize that our Zion and our Gerizim in our lives today, whatever that may be that we put our foundations on, those places will not do. Fulfillment comes only from Christ. The rest of these things will not do. I think to those who acknowledge this, that is what the Father is seeking uh, to draw and to, um, as real worshippers, who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Um, so there is a place because of that for people like us who are outside of the, the original community because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of what He has done for us in breaking down the barriers and in unleashing this, the power of the Spirit in the world, even for people like us today. Let's pray and then we'll continue to sing in response. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have released your love and your grace to the world. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, because of whom we have forgiveness, because of whom we have the reconciliation with you. We thank you, Lord, that we can approach you anytime, anywhere, and we, can, uh, we, can, we have the assurance that when we call to you, you will hear us and you will uh, um, answer us when we call to you, Lord. So we thank you for the assurance. We thank you for your word today, for the reassurance um, through the story of uh, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. And help us, Lord, to be grateful to you uh, and also to be generous and uh, um, to, to be gracious to the people around us as a response of our worship to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.